Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week me and Miss Boo take turns picking films to watch and talk about. Some are good, some are bad, but they are always fun at the Film Club. But you should forget about the Film Club, because tonight we are the Horror Club. <laughs> you really like the laugh at the end, don't you? It's fun. It adds a little panache to the episode. P- panache. That's what we need more of. That's right. I threw out that $10 word today. Ooh, ooh. I don't know if our uh, our budget can allow the $10 words today. But uh, this week, as we count down to Halloween, uh, we're talking about one of your picks, if I'm not mistaken. It is my pick this week, and we're also kicking off our Undead September. We are kicking off our Undead September, because every week for the month of September, we're going to be talking about a film that has undead characters or zombies, vampires, ghouls, Mummies. ghosts, so oh. on and so forth. But what are we talking about this week? Well, today to kick off Undead September, we're going to be talking about the true classic, near and dear to my heart, and to so many, The Mummy, the 1999 version with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Yep, directed by Stephen Summers. That's correct. And uh, this is going to be interesting because I don't think i had seen this movie since like 2008 like it's been a long time that's an oddly specific year to track it back to well because that that is the last time i went up to my cousin's house in fresno Mm -hmm. before they like moved and that's where i used to watch it all the time that was like the go-to movie to get the kids to shut the fuck up for two hours ah i see so that's that's why i know it's been that long uh but yeah uh, so I wasn't, I didn't know what I was expecting to get into this movie. I know it's really fondly remembered, and I don't know if that was nostalgia or not. You mean beloved? Yeah, it's very beloved, and I figured out why. Like, yeah, this movie's a banger. This movie's great. I mean, there's a ride after this movie. There is, you know, but hey, I, I came in with reservations, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's a great movie. It is. So, when, when was the last time you watched it, though? Or is this apart, a, apart from last night? Apart from last night, because I know you usually when it's a pick that you have, your response is, oh, I watched this like, you know, a month ago. All the movies we've watched so far that are your picks, you've watched them aggressively throughout the year. So when was the last time? No, Six weeks ago? That's not true. A month ago? Was um, this an every year movie? Maybe a few months ago. Maybe a few months ago? Yeah, I, I watch this a couple times a year. Okay. But what about when you first saw it? When I first saw it, I must have been 10, because I think I saw it the year after it came out. It came out in 1999, mm-hmm. and it's, it's weird to think that this is a 90s movie. Yeah, it's it's barely in 90s movies because it's 99, but we, also this movie's 22, 23 years old now. So weird. It, it doesn't feel like... That old? It, yeah, it feels like, oh, it's still pretty fresh and new, and I think that's kind of a good thing, that mm-hmm. it's aged gracefully. Yeah, I think a lot of that is the effect work in the movie isn't actually that bad. No, it's it's really good. Yeah, and uh, it kind of goes with the thing because they had ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, yeah. who did famously like all the Star Wars movies, a bunch of the Marvel movies. They're the guys you want to do high-end visual effects, um, and they did this, and they... <laughs> I think they said, like, 80% of the budget went to the VFX for this oh, movie. Oh, definitely. It was a shit ton of money. But, I mean, with as much praise and money that this movie made, mm-hmm. like, day two of the movie, you know, premiering, Stephen Summers got a call from Universal, and, like, you gotta make a second one. Yeah. Because it was just that big of a hit right out of the gate. It was huge when it came out. I don't think people understand the gravity of how big this was. 
this movie signaled um a okay so this movie comes out in 99 and it had been in like production hell for like years since like the 80s oh yeah um i think at any one point like joe george romero clive barker joe dante had Mm -hmm. all been attached as a director which i was very surprised about learning that you know these big name directors even wes craven they considered wes craven i think he got a call and he turned him down yeah and I think uh, George Romero had said yes, mm-hmm. but I think it was a little too violent and gruesome. Well, he, that... went, into, he went into like a, a pre-production phase, and he, basically when he brought it to them, they were like, all right, and George Romero, being George Romero, was like, I want creative control. And they were like, you can mm-hmm. walk your ass mm-hmm. out the door right now, because we ain't giving you this much money with yeah. creative control. Which is weird, because Somers actually just kind of got creative control by the time he got it, but that was like 15 years after George Romero. Yeah. I mean, it would have been interesting to see uh, mummy zombies. Because, I mean, we, we get them in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, like, George Romero zombies. zombies. That would have been something. Oh, yeah. But um, back, back to the thing. So, this went through, like, all that production hell. Somers, he managed to sell it to Universal as, it's not going to be a horror movie. It's going to be, like, this this pulp adventure action flick. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, so we can sell it as a blockbuster. And like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, but we're going to need some extra money. And Universal, since they lost a bunch of money on Babe, Pig, in the City. So, they basically gave him carte blanche to make whatever he wanted. I think they gave him, like, $100 million in 90s money. Yeah. And he made this. And, yeah, it was, I think, the third highest grossing film of that year. No, no, I don't think it was the third. It might have been, like, the fourth or fifth. Because the highest grossing movies of of the year 99 was Star Wars Episode One, which obviously yes even if that movie is is bad <laughs> that made all the money yeah and then it's like the sixth sense and toy story 2 those are the top three and then it's like the tars and then it's like tarzan and then the matrix and the mummy are wow there. i don't know a lot of a lot of good movies came out in 99 oh i got into a talk with a friend of mine who is convinced 99 is like the best year for film wow i, I had convinced. no idea that all those movies came out in 99 yeah and i saw a good majority of those in the theater I mean, yeah, if you were... I think, yeah, Star Wars Episode One was the first film I saw in a theater. And, Ever? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, boo. It happens. That was the first one we ever saw in a theater, and then Toy Story 2 probably saw in the theater. Tarzan, I know I saw in the theater. Matrix, I don't think I saw in a theater. No. I think I saw that, like, just a little, like, the month or two after it came out on, like, VHS or some shit. But, yeah, so this movie made a shit ton of money. And got greenlit it like right away, and oddly enough, um, for a lot of movies that are these big blockbuster hits, usually they make either a lot of money and are not critically acclaimed, or critically acclaimed not make a lot of money. Right. Um, very few do both. This movie actually got real high critical praise, but it didn't win like any awards, which is weird. Yeah. It didn't even win a VXF award. Like, no visual hmm. effects awards, I mean, anything like how that. do you not? Because, I mean, a lot of the visuals in this uh, movie are flawless. Because, yeah. I mean, Emotep alone, he's constantly in a, a different fi- uh, stage of uh, transformation. Yeah. And even with all the fight scenes, um, Brendan Fraser famously, he acted against nothing Nobody. when he had to do all the fights with the mummies. Yeah. So that was all just him doing, like, painstaking choreography yeah. to do those fight scenes, which are really, like, fluid and, and very clean. But, um, even Rod, like, but all the critics basically praised it for its effects are gorgeous. The characters are really fun. They're like, it's not 
Citizen Kane, but I loved every minute of it. It was that kind of movie. It was a very big, crowd-pleasing kind of film. And I'm surprised it wasn't a summer blockbuster. Yeah, this came out in what? It came out May 7th of 99, so... Not May... Well, May 7th, that's spring. That's spring, so... But just the... That's also the same time when Titanic comes out. May became the... uh, I mean, think about it. If you look, a most big Marvel films come out in May. Yeah. Because that's like starting spring and then you can ride the spring wave into the summer. summer, yeah. And you can get a long run and make a lot of money if you start in May. Which this movie did. I think it ran the whole year of 99. I wouldn't be surprised. So, but but yeah, so this is um, an interesting film. It is. It's, it, a, it's a remake, but it's not a remake in the same vein. Yeah, but to go back to your original question... Mm-hmm. I saw this probably the year after it came out. So whenever it came out on VHS, I remember seeing the commercials and I was bugging my mom, you know, I want to see The Mummy, I want to see The Mummy because... You were a Universal kid? Universal Monsters kid all the way through. And she was like, no, no, it's too scary for you. And then I remember like the next weekend my dad got it from Blockbuster. And then he was just like, don't tell your mom. So we watch it and not scary at all. You have a couple of jump scares in the movie. Yeah, I think, because there are a few moments in it that are, are creepy, but there's it's not a gruesome movie, really. No. Yeah, like, any, there's no real gore, there's no real, like, terror or anything like that. It's, a, it's basically just an action movie, at the end of the day. Yeah, so, that's why I was kind of like, oh, you know what? It's not scary, it's got a really good story. I mean, for a ten-year-old to be engaged the entire way through... Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it really cemented my love for Egyptology, too. I just wanted to you, you learn wanted more. You wanted to be Evelyn? Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to be an explorer out there, you know, you know, looking for artifacts and finding treasure and, you know, finding, you know, ancient documents. There's just something special. It's not, you know, super draped in mummies where mm. it's, you know, kind of like Scooby-Doo where, oh, you know, here comes the mummy chasing us down the hallway. It's like, no, there's actual story and there's history and it's just... And- also, I think it goes in with the fact that um, Evelyn, Rachel Weiss's character, uh, she's uh, not really a damsel in distress because she's the one who knows everything. Yeah. yeah, Brendan Fraser, who's playing Rick O'Connell, he's the hero. You know, the mm-hmm. archetypal square jawed, you know, gun toting action hero, but he doesn't know anything. Evie knows how to, like, win the game and, and is the smart one of the group. Yeah, you know, uh, Rick is the hero, the muscle the map because he's been to Hamanatra yeah. and this is only a place that she's read of and mm-hmm. wanted to discover. But like you said, she's really the one that wins the game in the end because she knows all the pieces. Yeah. So I think that, and that's also an interesting thing. Cause that's a lot of things people praised about this was yeah. uh, Rachel Vice being just not a damsel in distress in a nineties action movie. Exactly. She very surprising. Took no crap from nobody saved everybody in the end yeah it's a really fun movie another reason a lot of people really retroactively like this movie is because it was kind of the last old style like action blockbuster films kind of made because this comes out in 99 we have mummy returns in 2003 i think around 2007 8 is when we get the third mummy movie and then after that that's it's marvel characters like and Iron then, Man. And then it wouldn't be till years later when we get The Mummy again with Tom Cruise and that just... It's, it's sunk. It, it's sunk. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing where the 
series was the last of those like old pulp serial action movies. Yeah. It was like there's there's no more Indiana Jones style action films anymore. This was basically the last original one. So The Mummy Returns came out in 2001. Really? It was two years after? Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. But that's neither here nor there. Let's yeah. talk about let's talk about this one. So, where do you want to start? Um, let's start with the characters since we were kind of getting into like Evie and Rick. Okay. So, the characters we got here are archetypal at best. I mean, there's not really a lot of like subversive characters that go against type here, uh, except like Evelyn. Yeah. Even though she's like still a damsel in distress and eye candy, she's she's really smart and she does contribute to the plot and saving the day at the end. But everybody else is pretty by the numbers, right? Yeah, I mean, when we first meet Evie, she's you know a librarian. She's a, a bookworm. She's always got her nose in a book. She's and, the bookish, clumsy, you know, fairy girl. You know, taking down the, the entire library in just one little tap of a, a bookshelf. Yeah. yeah. That actually, that scene, I think, that had to be done in one go in yeah. one day because it took so long to set up. It would take him like another day to reset it. Understandable. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think that would take probably longer than a day. Nah, you got good crew. <laughs> Poor crew. I know, right? But yeah, we have you know Rachel Weiss who plays Evie. We have her brother Jonathan who's mm. also kind of in the same field as she is. You know, he's. He... Jonathan is like is a scam artist, all right? He's a scam artist that also happens to know a little bit about Egyptology because his parents were like explorers. explorers. That is Jonathan's character. Yeah. He he is comic relief. Him and Benny are comic relief. And and that's actually our first jump scare that we get in the movie is with mm -hmm. Jonathan when he, you know, pops the mummy out of the the crypt in the the museum display. Mm -hmm. Which always gets me. It's like I know it's coming up. I think it's just the sound, you know, it's just like, oh it's, my it's, god. It's good sound work, you know. It, it it's, is, it's, it's really good. It's an earned jump scare. We have Benny, who's more comic relief in the movie. Benny is straight up comic relief, and that that actor, I've seen him in a bunch of random movies, yeah. and I don't think I've ever seen him not under, like, pounds of makeup. Yeah. And even in this movie, like, you would think, oh, he's not, he just looks kind of like that, and then you see an actual picture, and he's, no, he's under pounds of makeup. And also, is are Benny and Rick are not friends? Are they kind of friends or or, or friendly? Or I think what? they're frenemies. They're frenemies. They they hate. They uh fight against each other. But eh, you know, respect the player. Respect the player. Hate the game. Exactly because when we first start the movie, we see them at war together, where they're both fighting for the French military. They're in the French Foreign Legion. So. There, you know, in Hamanatra, and then we see, you know, Benny just kind of ditch Rick and then really, you know, lock Rick out with the, the Magi. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, Benny, and then throughout the entire movie, it's just tit for tat, you know, okay, who's going to get the next zinger or the next hit? Oh, looks like I have all the horses. Looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. Uh, One of the best lines of the movie. It's it's the it's funny and all and all of our comedy comes from him and Jonathan. Yeah. Which I think this movie really wants because I don't think the movie works without good comedic relief. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, it would just be kind of like a. It'd be a, a really bland action movie, right? There's good action set pieces, but without the comedic aspect to it and the few moments of like real 
scary stuff. Yeah. This would be a pretty by-the-numbers action movie with just a different setting. And it would still be a good action movie. No, it would be a good action movie. I just don't think it would be as loved if it was just an action movie. Yeah, you need that comic relief to kind of... Well, it smooths over the edges. Yeah. You know. And then we also have the mysterious Ardeth Bay. Yeah, okay. Because um, Ardeth Bay is the name of the... Of Boris Karloff in the original Mummy from 1932, I believe? I, I don't know if it's 32, but it's it's definitely back there, maybe 35. But yeah, and I realized this, we don't actually get his name in the movie... He's just like a magi. I don't think they ever say his name. We don't get his name until um, the, the mummy returns. Yeah, and the whole magi order is really just fun and interesting because it adds a whole like mythology. It was nineteen thirty-two. Sorry. Oh, well, I had to had to get the comeuppance there. I had to know. I need to know all my monster facts. You need to know everything. But just yeah. monster stuff. So it is fascinating because the Ardeth Bay character and him being a Magi and that implication that there's this deep order adds lore to the story that I think is really nice and really needed. Oh, yeah. For the, for the series to work, right? Yeah. We, you know, definitely need that kind of, um, that order set of, okay, we have this, you know, incredibly dangerous person that could you know destroy the world Mm -hmm. we have to have a legion of you know this little army that is going to protect the secret and and essentially protect the world yeah so this you know emotep's been dead for three thousand years when we get to our story in the 1920s something like that yeah so just you know the fact that this secret has been passed on for the last three thousand years to you know essentially keep humanity alive yeah it's just it's just a really nice um work of just just like this is a this is a lore thing we don't really have to explain it but the implication is good enough to like for you to write on yeah and it's a nice you know nod and easter egg to boris karloff who played mm-hmm. ardeth bay and the original mummy mm-hmm. and ardeth bay is also an anagram for a death by raw yeah that's it's a really interesting little uh little trivia factoid for yeah. you um but yeah like there, there's just so many good characters in here um, all the Americans are fun, even if they are, like, one-dimensional jokes. They're considered the cowboys. The cowboys, yeah. Which which is fun. Like, and then, we have a lot of good characters in here. Yeah, I mean, even the doctor that Evie works for in the, the library. Oh, yeah, Dr. Terrence Bay. Yeah, who is secretly cousins with Ardeth Bay. Mm-hmm. And has, you know, is a part of this secret legion to keeping <laughs> Emotep, you know. I'm thinking about the implication he's born a Magi. They're just like, alright, he must protect this... For all costs, at all at all opportunities, he's like, yeah, oh, um, I'm gonna go to like med school though, like and become does a the, doctor and become a doctor. Do the Magi have like a scholarship program for that? Like, what's going on? Can we get some of that Egyptian gold to pay for my medical expenses or school expenses? You know, it's just I a mean, funny, it's just a funny little like like thought bubble I went through. But um, you know, I mean, it was like early 1900s. You never know what kind of scholarships were around back then. <sighs> Probably not many. Um, but yeah, the, we also have, you know, our main characters, Rick and Evie, we talked about them a little bit. And we have to talk about Emotep, obviously. Yeah, um, who, who plays him? Arnold, uh... Voslu. Voslu, okay. And I don't think Emotep has, like, more than, like, five lines in this whole movie, and he's, his presence alone is enough to just be off-putting and, like, like, intimidating. Definitely. 
You know, like, um, the actor, he... I think he said for, like, ten years after this movie, kids would, like, yell at him, bad mummy, and run away. Bad mummy. Bad mummy. I swear. It was, like, little kids, right? Like, yeah. six, seven, eight, shit like that. And would see him in, like, the grocery store. Be like, that bad mummy, and yeah. run away. And he was like, yeah, uh, greatest highlight of my career. I'm like, good, good on you, dog. Good on you. I mean, he's an Asian Cody Banks. He's the bad guy in the movie. Oh, my God. Did no, did none of these people work after the 2000s? Jesus but Christ. But, I mean, even in Cody Banks, he only says a couple of lines. Mm-hmm. But he's there as, you know, kind of like the bad guy's henchman. Mm-hmm. His muscle. So he's just quiet. But even quiet, he's just... He's he got ha- something... He has an intimidating presence. Yeah. It, I'm pretty sure it's the fact he's like 6'3", bald, and kind of jacked. That's yeah. probably that's probably helps. Yeah. But yeah. And Emotep, you know, is a real person. In, yeah, he was in an history. architect in Egypt. Yeah, so he wasn't a bad guy. He was actually someone very important in Egyptian history. Mm. Yeah, so Emotep really wasn't a bad guy. He was the first guy to build one of the pyramids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, pretty cool, but in this story... Emotep is just a badass that doesn't have to really say anything at all. Yeah, and it's really good because, you know, what he does say, he speaks like ancient Egyptian, right? Yeah, he doesn't speak English, which they wanted him to narrate the story. (laughs) And it was just like, well, Emotep doesn't speak English, so how is he going to suddenly speak English to narrate? I I like how that (laughs) That. that was the thing Mm -hmm. Somers was like, you know, he doesn't speak English. And all the producers in the room were just like, so it's a movie, and he's like, no, 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 he doesn't speak English. I'm like, Arnold, Arnold Verlu, he speaks English. Like he's, I think he's an American actor, and they're like, no, no, he doesn't speak English. He's a, he, he's an ancient Egyptian. We'll get Ardeth Bay to do it. And I'm like, uh, okay, sure, whatever. I think one thing that Universal dropped the ball on mm-hmm. that they should have done. I mean, apart from you know, Emotep doesn't speak English. You know that whole debacle. Yeah. Uh, Originally, they wanted to use the old Universal logo at the beginning and then oh, have yeah. that burn into the desert and to the, the war scene. Well, um, Stephen Somers, he used that idea when he did Van Helsing yeah. a couple years later, which honestly is kind of... It's an interesting like thought for a director to have for one movie, and then mm-hmm. he's like, ah, I can't really do it for this one, but I really like it. So he carries it over like two, three movies down the road yeah. and then makes it, which you know is kind of interesting. A lot of, like, ideas permeate through projects then form other ones, which is an interesting director thing. Yeah, and I mean, it would have been really cool to see, you know, especially since this movie has such a strong tie-in with the original movie. I no, think it, it doesn't. Well, there ain't dick other than Emotep and Ardeth Bay's name that are even relevant to the first same one. Same studio. Is any of the story the same? Is a Rick O'Connell in the 32 Mummy? No, but is I mean... Evelyn in the 32 Mummy? Oh my god. I'm sorry, but like, this is basically a remake in name only. Yeah, but it's the same studio, the history is there. That's why I thought it'd be cool to bring it back to the original logo of the mm. 30s, to today's logo. I just feel to... that's probably why Somers didn't do it, though. Was he wanted to make a point that... This is the mummy, but it's not your old style mummy. It's a, it's its own thing, which it really is. I think we should talk about that because this is a remake. But yeah. okay, um, I've heard this argument before where a remake should either be use the, only the broadest strokes from the original and tell its own story, so you don't sully the original. Yeah. 
and other people are like, well, you just do the same movie beat for beat, but you update yeah. some effects or some you know, not so aged well parts of the script. Yeah. I, I wonder where you sit on the on the spectrum here because one of my favorite movies is The Thing, and that's a remake of The Thing from Another World by yeah. Howard Hawks. And those movies are broad strokes, kind of, sort of, related. But in any of the details, they're completely different movies. Yeah, you know, if I'm going to watch a remake, I'm in that same camp of I want them to be very broad strokes of the original movie because mm -hmm. if you're just going to make a shot for shot of the original, I'm there's just no going to watch the original. Yeah, there's no point. Which I think happens with um, a lot of films that were made in, like, foreign countries and then remade yeah. in America where they're almost shot for shot for the mm -hmm. most part and then just certain, like, localization things are done. Right. But this film is interesting because I don't even think it uses any of the broad strokes from the original. No, it's just... It's literally, like, it, we took title, the name um, and a couple characters, yeah. namely just Emotep, and yeah. everything else is different. I think even the time frame is different because I think in the original it's 32 and this one's 25. Yeah, 25 with the war, maybe 20? I think maybe jump five years when Evie and Rick finally meet. No, it opens in 22. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, it opens in uh, 3200 BC. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's 1922-25, which is an interesting place to set it. I think... I'm going to keep going back to it. I think Somers really wanted to make an Indiana Jones pulp adventure story. Yeah. He wanted to make Doc Savage. And this was probably the best way for him to do it. Because, um... I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, pulp adventure stories. Mm -hmm. uh, Conan, Lovecraft, uh, Doc Savage, things like that. I'm a fan I'm a fan of them. Because they're just, they're fun adv adventure, you know, stuff. Yeah. And this really lines up with all of that. You know, wisecracking, nine vulnerable super superhero main character. Um, you, Period piece. Yeah, well, a lot of them are set in the 20s because that's just when they were written. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's set in, like, a much older, you know, past world. They're exploring these weird exotic locales they're coming up against these strange exotic um combatants there's you know these huge stakes of saving the world and this really is it it's it's indiana jones with a monster with a monster flick in it yeah that's basically what it is and it's a really good use i'm really sad that this didn't become a trend more yeah you know but i think that's what makes this film so special mm -hmm. because it's its own entity and it, it's the well it's the last of the trend of the Indiana Jones ripoffs. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a really good one. It's a really good ripoff. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the fact that Emotep is just so angry because of his woman. Yeah. He can't have his woman, who is a Noxuna Moon in the movie, mm -hmm. who is the mistress of Seti. Yeah. And she, you know, up and kills Seti, stabs him in the back. <sighs> Massive betrayal. Stabs him in the back, Emotep helps, and then they get caught. They get got, and they get killed. They get got and killed. You know, and, you as know, you do. As you do, and Arnold Vosloo was, you know, wrapped up in the, the whole, you know, the gauze and everything. I, I heard that he, like, got claustrophobia from doing that. Like, that freaked him the fuck out. Well, I mean, they wrapped him up completely. Covered the mouth, covered the eyes. Yeah, I'd be freaking out, too, if I can't move. I want to imagine it was, like, somebody's explaining, like, don't worry, you'll be able to breathe, but yeah. you're not going to be able to move at all. 
I'm just wondering, I was watching, like, the, the documentary of the movie, mm-hmm. and they show the part where they pour the Beatles into the sarcophagus with him. Yeah. Even though it's not a lot. They pour, like, five in to kind of, like, give them the incentive of, okay, you're covered in bugs. Of, of movement. Yeah. And then they CGI the rest. Yeah. So I'm wondering, was that him in there? So it's like, okay, we've got you freaked out because you're completely wrapped up. Now we're going to drop some bugs on you. I mean, I they might have had a stunt person do that, but I imagine he might have just been like, yeah, sure, whatever, not thinking that it was going to be that much of a hassle. It's like, I'm already panicking enough, so go ahead, you know, do what you need to do. Well, in that situation, it's probably like the, sh- the close-up of him, like his face getting wrapped, and then they just change camera positions. Yeah. So he might have been wrapped up for like a couple hours while yeah. they just shot that. And they were like, yeah, we don't need to get a stuntman to wrap you, it'll be fine. Huh, Which, terrifying. Indeed. Well, another interesting thing um, about the whole stunt aspect. So, Brendan Fraser, lead actor in this, yeah. who people said he disappeared from, like, mainstream, big-budget Hollywood flicks for, like, a decade. Yeah. He just kind of got a career comeback uh, mm-hmm. doing, I think it was the Doom Patrol? Yeah, in 2018? 2018. Yeah, he, ju- he just got back. Well, he yeah. did, I think The Affair was the thing that he showed back up in that I was like, oh, wow, he, He's Brendan back. Fraser's back. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation as to why he kind of stopped working, but because I'm anal retentive and I did a lot of research on this subject, uh, I figured out why. Yeah. Um, so there was a few contributing factors. Um, one of them, uh, is like, he, he got a divorce, so that got a big, you know, he had a legal thing, incentivized him to like have to look for other, like, things to keep money going. There's a whole custody battle, all that I, stuff. I think his mother also passed away in that same time frame. Mother also passed away. Uh, there's an accusation of him being assaulted, uh, which, trigger warning. And the But the biggest one that has basically been consistent was he did not use stuntmen. No. And he was, he did all his own stunts, and he did a lot of movies back-to-back that were physically trying. He, he had to do restunts, he had to, you know, do things like that. And he basically, over the course of, like, five years, broke his body down. So he had yeah. to spend seven years getting, like, surgeries and stuff like that. Because looking at Brendan Fraser, you might not think it, but he's a big guy. I think he's, like, 6'2", 6'3", and yeah. I think even in shape, he still walks around at, like, 220, 30 pounds. So yeah. imagine taking bumps all day for, like three years well i mean i read somewhere in one of uh one of the interviews that rachel weiss did uh i think their first day of shooting was uh the, it the was scene a hanging where he, scene, yeah when right? he gets hung and he, they actually had to resuscitate him because somebody, they hung him yeah somebody somebody screwed up the safety harness and instead of making it an inch tighter so when it goes all the weight is distributed to his to his gut right yeah. so it's like boom you stop but you're not going to hurt yourself you're it's the weight's just distributed yeah they made it an inch longer so the whole weight of his body got caught on his neck so he literally just went down and like passed out yeah you know he's kicking and they're like oh great acting and they just stop moving they're like oh shit brendan oh fuck and then cut him down and yeah. they found out that he, yeah he passed out and i mean in all through the movie too he's getting kicked and hit and thrown all and- the choreo all the choreography he probably had to learn and that he had to learn, because, you know, you can see his face the whole time. This isn't at a point where you were able to CGI yeah. um, an actor's face onto a stunt person. Yeah. This was where either you get a stuntman who vaguely looks like him and put a wig on, or you get the actor to, you know, it's I'm saying it very poorly, but nut up and do it. 
And that's very much how he is. And I was reading an interview with him where he said at that time period, he was like, yeah, you know, I was giving it like 200% and just throwing myself around and taking hits and taking blows. And he's like, you know, I paid for it. He goes, I was having surgery for this. I think he said for the mummy too, Mm -hmm. he had to do, um, he did like a, a bunch of research on like ice packs. So he had, you know, everything just packed in his costume to kind of like, keep things cool that were hurting and it's yeah, just like I think dude I, you're doing too much i think by the time the third mummy movie came in he figured out a way that i think it's why he looks bulky in that movie mm-hmm. um yeah he's a little bit older so he might have put on extra weight but he was wearing bicycle padding under his yeah. entire costume because of how much like damage he puts his body through yeah and he he said before he's like i wanted to be this big action hero and be this big blockbuster star but the way I went about it was a very self-destructive manner. Yeah. It's the thing where, you know, if you, the candle that burns twice as fast, burns half as long. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is what it is. Um, but that's kind of interesting. Cause I'm really sad that we didn't get more Brendan Fraser, like action movies. Yeah. Cause I know that prob I know that after this, he did have a couple that were not great films and the mummy series was kind of the, this is the blockbuster I can, I can hang my hat on. And yeah. if I ever needed to, to go back and get back in in the public spotlight this is where i can go because people love these movies and after the third one he kind of couldn't go back to it anymore yeah so but he's back now and rachel weiss didn't go back to the third one either so it's kind of like yeah i I don't know why she didn't um i don't know if it was a thing she just didn't want to do it anymore or she because i was under the assumption she retired Somewhere in the mid two thousands, and that's um, why she was done. But I now I know she isn't because she was in a the Black Widow movie, I think. Yeah, she's still acting, but I think what I've read before is that she felt like the Mummy Two was a good stopping point for their story. Oh, I got gotcha. you. And I think the studio was kind of like, well, we want to continue the story, and she was it's just like, like, you guys are are a, a marketing machine. Yeah, we can make so much, like pumping these out every every couple of years. Yeah, which. That's another fascinating question. Do you think that this could have been like an Indiana Jones style phenomenon with like a franchise? Because the reason the indie movies only had like three, you know, Raiders, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade is they were made back at a time where the blockbusters were still kind of new. The first yeah. one was made in what? 1980, 81. Yeah. And like the, by the time the eighties wrapped up, yeah, they figured it out. I was like, oh, cool. You know, we figured out how to basically milk a franchise for everything it's worth. Mm-hmm. And also Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford and has utter contempt for people. So that's probably why we're going to get more. But I feel like if Brendan Fraser didn't, you know, have so many accidents, if um, Rachel Weisz still wanted to do it, like, I wonder how many movies they could have gotten out of this series. Yeah, they could have gotten more. I mean, I think... I don't think any of them lost money. I don't even think the third one lost money, and it wasn't a good film. Yeah, I've I've never seen. It. I think I've seen like maybe five minutes of it, but uh, I think what people want is they want the core group. It's mm. not like indie where we just you follow. Just need, you just need indie, and you yeah. can basically write anything else. I mean, granted, love Brenda Fraser, love the character Rick, but it's just it's something special when you have the the three of them, the four of them, Ardeth Bay with them. Mm-hmm. It just adds to the story. It just, it's a nice thing, because they're kind of like these team movies. Yeah. It's another thing, going back to the Pulp series, like the the Doc Savage and, you know, Men of Tomorrow, 
where it's not just him it's his it's the whole group and team that go you know around saving yeah. people you know two-fisted justice and stuff like that where yeah rick is you know the action guy who does all the shooting we have jonathan who's the comic relief evie's the smart one who mm-hmm. actually does all the planning and Arth bay is the is the wise saged character who who knows things that these people mm-hmm. don't know because he's a warrior and it's just an interesting thing and then you have the plucky kid in the sequel yeah, and w- which I could see, you know, maybe years down the line, Universal maybe picks up with, okay, we're going to take the story with Rick and Evie's son and start new adventures there. They might. I mean, it it kind of sucks because I heard the, uh, did you hear the um, the myth about the Tom Cruise Mummy remake from 2017, 16, something like that? The myth? Uh, or, or, so, I don't know if it's, because it's not, I don't think it's ever been confirmed. But this was the thing going around that the original script for the Mummy, because mm-hmm. they wanted to do the dark, the Universal Dark Universe, where they yeah. were going to make an interconnected Universal monsters pantheon, like like the Marvel films. Yeah, and that there's going to be the Van Helsing character in it, mm-hmm. and the 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 legend, according to internet people, was that it was supposed to be Brendan Fraser, and the term Van Helsing was a title. Not a, um, not like a name. Not kinda a like, person. Kind of like 007. Yeah. And that Rick, because he fought the mummy and all the stuff that happened in the sequels and all that stuff, he achieved this expanded lifetime. And Brendan Fraser was going to come back as Rick O'Connell in the mummy mm-hmm. remake as, you know, of the Van Helsing character. Okay. And that was going to be a way to connect it to pop, the most famous Marvel, or the most famous um, monster flick universal made in the last 20 years which was the mummy right yeah. uh but obviously that didn't happen and no one's really sure if it's true because i've seen a couple of like sheets from a screenplay that had it but i have no idea if those were real original screenplays because yeah. tom cruise when he got on he rewrote the whole fucking script yeah and yeah you know, a couple years ago i finally sat down and watched it because i was you know very against the movie when it came out i was like like whoa i'm like this this isn't the mummy. This is not what we've had. And well, then... it's it's it made an attempt to modernize the story, but I don't think the this story or even the the idea works in a modern setting. No, so that's why I, you know it's okay. It, mm-hmm. It's an alright movie. It's you know something that you can sit through and watch and enjoy what's going on. But to kind of you know have this as the lead off into the dark universe for the monsters, I'm like no. Yeah, I think The Invisible Man was a much better oh, film. by far. And that was, like, a perfect way to start off these new movies that are in pre-production and are going to be coming out soon. The films that are like, oh, they're modernized retellings of these stories, but they're more or less non-connect- non-connected. They just imply an expanded world. I don't even think The Invisible Man implied it was in an expanded universe. No, but, I mean, it, it was so brilliantly done because I thought, what are we going to do that differs from the original and how are they going to do it in this modern setting? And it was, it was just, it was great. Yeah. It, it was like, well, it's the story of a guy who goes power hungry cause he can be invisible. And then they were like, wait, Riven's not actually that interesting of character, but we can get a lot out of the people he torments because mm-hmm. he's invisible. And yeah. that, then you kind of expand from that as a really good movie. Highly recommended. But back to the thing, cause I think that's an interesting topic. So this movie Set in, like, 1920, 1922, the original was set in, like, the 30s, right? Yeah. So, these 
this story, the idea of these characters, you know, Americans traveling to Egypt and discovering this ancient Egyptian tomb or a lost city and the, the mummy's curse coming to attack them, blah, blah. I feel that kind of story can only really take place at, like, early in in time, like, like the 20s, 30s, yeah. 40s. Anything it, after that, it just gets really weird. It gets weird, but it's also so easy to kind of romanticize the 20s. Yeah. And, you know, we have... Scare- you're, you're very guilty of uh, loving, like, those romance 20s films. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're visually beautiful. The stories are engaging. So we have, you know, terrifying Emotep, but at the same time, he's doing this because he wants to be reunited with his lost love. Oh, oh what a man will do for the love of his, of his life. Dude will bring on the locusts, the flies, everything, just to get his woman back. And I think that's another interesting thing, because that, I think that's another reason why the movie works and why Emotep is a good villain. Um, and me and my brother, we talked about Blade Runner not too, not too long ago mm-hmm. on our film club, or our film Odyssey podcast, yeah. sorry. And we were talking about Roy Batty in that. Mm-hmm. And we liked him so much because he's such a justifiable villain. Yeah. The reason he wants to do these things, it makes total sense. Yeah. He wants to, you know, meet his maker because he is, he wants to know, like, the purpose of his sentience, the purpose of his life. And he is angry because there is no point, blah, 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 philosophical stuff. There you go, the philosophical stuff. And in this, it makes sense. Emotep, the reason he wants to bring back Anax on the Moon and all this other stuff is because, oh, the love of his life, he, she was taken from him. He wants to bring her back, da-da-da-da-da. His outward villainy is to serve a goal. He's not just evil to be evil. Where I feel that's kind of the guilt of the Boris Karloff version. Mm-hmm. He is he is evil because he is evil, and and he also wants his woman. Well, he wants his woman, but like, let let's be honest. Back then, no, that, that movie. He's just being evil to be evil. Yeah, his like romantic um, reasoning is very played down, but this is very played up. Mm-hmm. Like the reason he kidnaps Evie is because well, you look like a Nox from the Moon, and I can use you to raise her from the dead. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a, just a very good character. And a very good um, lesson for screenwriting. Your if your villains should be the heroes of their own story, and what they should be doing should be serving a righteous cause to them. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a righteous cause to everyone else, but to him, he's like, I'm willing to usher in the apocalypse if it means I get my my Anax on the moon back. Yeah, it's a good story. And it's like, you know, where would they go from there? Well, we they have a sequel. <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, yeah. if he were to achieve his goal and getting a Noxuna moon back, it's like, well, where do you go? The world has changed. He, it's... He's like, oh, Montana seems nice. We'll get a farm, get some dogs, have oh, some kids. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Anox- you know, he just so looks like the kind of guy who'd be fine driving his pickup and just relaxing on the farm with his best gal. Definitely, definitely. Totally. But, yeah. but I think one thing that I loved production-wise is how they made Hamanatra and how it goes from the sun rises and you just see, you know, desert. Oh, that visual effect. I love that. It, it's amazing. It to The city just suddenly appears it, like a mirage. I think, well, that's kind of the point. It's supposed to be a city that's just, it's lost in the desert. Yeah. You know, you think it's a mirage kind of thing and that the desert hides it. Mm-hmm. And that, like seeing that is the epitome of how you should do 
Like the, the like a, it's a fantasy reveal and everybody just accepts it because there's it kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's because of how like the sand reflects and all this other mm-hmm. stuff and like the darkness, you can't really see it. And then when the sun rises and it lights up the city and silhouettes it, then you can see it. Yeah. Against the backdrop of, of the endless sands of the deserts. This lost city. This lost city. And I'm like, that is a brilliant visual. Mm-hmm. I I could not imagine a kid watching that and not just being wow. enthralled. Mm. Yeah. It's so good. And and I think that's where I like I like to place this movie is it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I was ready for this to be... Look, I had a lot of nostalgic love for this, mm-hmm. you know, but I I was ready to do the reevaluation of it being, eh, it's not too good, some of the acting's a little hokey, I haven't seen this in a long time, it's probably not aged well. It's aged wonderfully. Yeah. There's nothing in here I don't... I wouldn't feel comfortable showing to people now. I think people who haven't seen it would really enjoy it. Definitely, and I think... It's what? It came out in 99, so it's 23? I don't know what year it is, but yeah, something like that. 22. I hope they do something big for like the 25th anniversary. I definitely like a rescreening of this, so if people haven't seen it, they have the ability to watch it on a bigger screen because I got to see it on TV. I've seen it on TVs. I'd love to see this on a big screen and just take in that scene alone when the city appears. It'd be really good. But yeah, um... I'm th- I think I'm about ready for the wrap-up. Do you have anything you want to throw in before we, we hit that? Well, I thought something interesting about this film. None of it was filmed here. In California, at Universal Studios. Yeah, I, I heard about that. They filmed the hu- huge chunks of it in Marrakesh. Uh, yep, yeah, in Morocco. Because yeah. of, you know, all the politics going on in Egypt, they couldn't film there. And the Moroccan army was like, yeah, you could totally film this here and, you know, we'll provide security for you guys so i mean the closest that we got to it being filmed here was some parts in arizona yeah because they just needed extra places in the desert to do yeah second unit and pickups i assume but it's kind of cool to see how it's progressed i mean let alone technology and the times that we're in because the original movie was shot here in california in the desert yeah it was just filmed in a back lot right no it like in the actual desert oh they drove out to like victorville or something they drove i don't remember where it is i think it's like a two three hour drive from where we currently are Mm, so um this guy that i watch random land on youtube Mm -hmm. he did like a full video of um the filming location where you see emotep out like on the mountain oh really and he drove out there and yeah he was able to set up his camera and then put like side by side shots and he would walk and you'd see Emotep walking. So we're very close to that filming location. Oh, so that's cool. we could always visit. But I thought it was cool that, you know, technology wise, we're able to, you know, go out to the deserts and and, and, and literally build these giant set pieces. And you'd think, yeah, you know, they're in Egypt. You know, you've got, you know, statues of Anubis and you have like well, these Well, that's just set design. That's set design. But, you know, yeah, when you're well, watching the when movie. When you're watching yeah. it in the, in the expanse of everything around you, you're just like. That can't be a computer. That and, looks too good. And that can't be a soundstage. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this is a really good-looking movie. Very beautiful movie. If I, if I had to give any praise for why you should watch it, it just watch it because of, like, the visuals. It looks so good. That and the score. The score is very the good. The score is beautiful. I think the opening sequence, if you don't like the music, like, you'll, you'll know if you're not going to like the movie. Because it's a very good score, and it opens strong. Yeah, and I think this movie, I mean, alone with, you know, my love for Egyptology after watching this, I think this movie also gave me the love for scores that I have. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I, I've never been a big fan of, like, music scores from movies. They're just, it's one of those things, there's some that I really dig, but it's like, I dig a song from a score. You uh, listen to albums. I listen to soundtracks, I listen to scores, and I think with this movie, I mean, I could listen to the score, you know, backwards and forwards mm. because it's beautiful, but also the score gives me a lot of uh, Lawrence of Arabia vibes. I thought this movie took so much from Lawrence of Arabia when they're racing into yeah. the city and when the when they're having the battle with the Foreign Legion mm-hmm. in the beginning. I'm like this; these guys are taking whole cloth from like like S tier films. And then we get the train in the next movie. Oh yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but, I would I would highly recommend. Yeah, overall wonderful movie. Not scary, but it is uh, a horror. There's a couple of creepy moments yeah. that I think. If you're not, if you don't have a high horror constitution, you're gonna jump. Yeah. But if you if you do, you'll be fine. This is I. This is a movie I would be totally fine showing to like a kid. Yeah. Like even like eight or nine, I don't think there's anything. Even even like as young as like five, six, or seven, there's nothing in here. I that don't would even be, think there's any profanity. I don't think so either. I don't. I even think the the dirtiest this thing is is like a a half hearted joke that you can't even like as a kid you're never gonna get anyway. Yeah. But that's that's all I got. So I mean, let alone um the the guy that runs the prison that Rickson the warden. The warden I can't think of his name. He's uh, the warden. He he's the warden. Uh, when he, you know, puts his hand on Evie's lap and he's like, you know, I'm a very lonely man and she slaps his hand and the whole prison laughs. I think that's the the worst. The raciest this yeah. movie gets. By far. Also, that prison scene? It's a, it's a hotel, isn't it? It's an apartment complex. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about that and I was like, this is a, this is a crummy apartment <laughs> complex. I feel bad for who lives here. But it's just like, really? That's an apartment? Like, it's okay. Marrakesh, I guess. I, I guess. We'll, we'll visit next week. It'll be fun. Sure. We got the time. But <sighs> let's wrap it here. Uh, what's your rating on this movie? Oh, two thumbs up. Would would highly recommend this. I would say if you have a free weekend or free, like, two hours to kill, you, you could do a lot worse than this. I would highly recommend it. I did not feel bad watching it. And it doesn't feel like two hours because the story just goes it doesn't feel like they they lag in any places oh no not at all this was a real fast real tight two hours yeah so i highly recommend it it's one of my favorite movies it's on my top 10 list Ooh, spoiling your top 10 that's right you guys won't get the full 10 until december but this is on the list oh my well i i would i could see it but since my pick is over what are we going to be watching next week well next week to spoil you spoiled your top 10 i'll spoil mine Next week's film is on my top 10 list and pretty high as a matter of that. And it's going to be the 1981 Sam Raimi masterpiece starring Bruce Campbell. It is The Evil Dead, which unironically made made me want to go make films. Dean is so excited. I love this movie. I This movie, unironically, I've probably seen more than any other film. I love it to death. It is so much fun. And I can't wait. But, boo... Where can they find us to talk about it? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere where podcasts are streamed. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook 
at the Film Club Podcast. But we're also at one more location. Dean, why don't you tell them where else we are? Well, if you want to find us anywhere else, you can go to our YouTube channel in the frame where you can find this podcast, the Film Club Podcast, as well as the other podcasts we do. The Double Feature Picture Show with me and David where we bring two films together, talk about them, compare them, contrast them, and dig deep into that double feature. As well as the Film Odyssey podcast that I do with my brother where we count down the AFI Top 100 looking for the best film of all time. And Boo, anything else you want to plug? Or is that it? I think that's it. And we'll end it with the quote, Death is only the beginning. But this is the end of the podcast. It is. And you'll see us next week. All right. Peace, everyone. Stay spooky.